welcome to episode 35 of That 60s Recording Podcast. Uh, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. That was, of course, not the smoothest intro I've ever done. <laughs> um, okay, I hope that you've all had a wonderful week. Today we have the second half of my conversation with Alan Hyatt. Um, where we talk a little bit more about Trident um, and where... Alan sees the future of sort of outboard gear and that kind of thing. Um, and we also talk a little bit about the music scene in um, San Francisco, which is kind of cool. And uh, anyway, it's pretty wide ranging conversation. Um, just a reminder that I am sat here with my uh, That 60s Recording Podcast mug. If you can hear that, I'm having a little slurp of coffee. Because mm, it's 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday, the 5th of July. Um, if you would like to buy a mug from, from this podcast, you can do that by visiting allyouneedisdrums.com and there's a link to the shop. Um, and all the proceeds go to support these conversations and help keep this podcast running. Um, so thank you very much if you uh, for all of those who've already done that and thank you for those who are thinking of doing it and would like to do that. Um, also, my isolated drum stems for this week that I'm going to be sending out are A Taste of Honey, which is a, a brushes kind of uh, it's kind of a ballad, I suppose. It's got um, it's got sort of quicker moments, um, but I thought it'd be nice to do something a little different from the norm. So that's what I'm sending out this week. Um, so anyway, I'll let you get straight into this conversation. As I said last time, it's a little shorter than last week's episode because uh, there wasn't an appropriate place to stop. But uh, anyway, here we go. Second half of my conversation with Alan Hyatt. So I was going to, I'm interested to know where you see things going and, and Trident's an exciting company to, to, to be part of, I suppose, in, in this time, because you have, you know, you've got a, the brand name is, is fantastic because it's got so much legacy and history behind it. Um, it's high quality products, but then you've, you've got the opportunity to move in lots of different directions. So with the, the plugins and, you know, 500 gear stuff, like rack, rack stuff and mm -hmm. um, yep. rack, just sort of 19 inch rack mount and still doing, um, still doing the big consoles. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting. Where, where do you see sort of the future for, for Trident? Well, I thought we were just going to go out of business when COVID hit. I thought that was going to be it. Mm -hmm. Who's going to spend 15, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 on an analog console? They're not working. They're not doing this. I didn't know what was going to. It was really a time of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And for a couple of months there, we were really upside down. But all of a sudden, started noticing getting some orders in for consoles. You know, the phone would ring. Uh, hi, PMI Audio. This is Alan. What can I help you with? Oh, hi. I'm so and so, and I'm thinking about buying a console. I go. Oh, well, you have a studio? No, for my house. I go, for your house? Oh, really? So uh, how's that depending out? Can I, can I ask you? You know, I don't mean to be private, but are you working? Do you, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm working from my home now, still with my thing, but you know, a lot of people were still working through it. A lot of people weren't. But it ends up turning out that people were so bored. You can't go here. You can't do that. I didn't go on my $20,000 vacation. 
and, and I don't mean that to sound sassy because I know a lot of people, $20,000 is a lot of money, mm-hmm. especially on a vacation. I don't mean to be, you know, insincere here, but, um, you know, people all of a sudden started buying consoles because as long as I'm going to be locked into my house for the next year, I want to do something. Yeah. Guitar sales went through the roof, amplifier sales, microphones. All of a sudden, the business started going crazy. So where do I see sales now? Um, the booms, to me, seems to still be on. We still are getting a lot of console orders, and we have a good backlog of console orders. Mm-hmm. The electronics are doing well, the 500 series, the 500 series racks. um, They're doing well. Um, I think this is a realization has happened with COVID, with the digital thing, and it happens a lot. One guy buys a console, and the next thing you know, five of his friends who work in the box are finally convinced, oh, my God, I have to have a console. <laughs> and I used to see that at shows. A guy would come in and I'd start pitching him. <laughs> no, no, I work in the box. I'll never buy a console. Next year, you'd see him at the show. You remember the face. Oh, I remember you. You're in the box. huh? You ready? And, uh, I'd never buy a console. The next year, he might be coming over to your booth. You know, I think I'm ready for a console now. <laughs> That's funny. And it's for those guys who actually get out of the box and and work on a console, they'll never go back into the box. And you've seen it over the last 10 years, I guess, is is what we call now the hybrid studio, whether it be a hybrid home studio or a professional studio. You only have a handful of people tracking a two-inch tape these days. I mean... It's still wonderful and it would be, and it's the best way to go. But, you know, you're talking about $500, $600 for a spool of tape for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really impractical splicing, editing, the convenience of the DAW, if you will, and the, and the plugins. I'm going to build a rack of outboard gear. It's going to cost me a hundred grand. All right. I'm going to buy $10,000 worth of plugins and I'm going to have 10 times the amount of devices that I could have in that rack. So the hybrid studio is what's really, everybody's buying the plugins and believe it or not, the plugins do help the analog version of it to be so, because if it's that good there, what does the real piece do? (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, when you really have correct voltage for headroom and spikes and transients. So, I think the plugins support the hard, the analog hardware, vice versa. But everybody is going to this hybrid studio, and I don't really see it changing much. I really don't. At least not for some time. When converters get to the stage that you can't hear a difference between fat analog and that converter, maybe it'll change. But for me, the day I go to a concert. And I see a band rocking, and then the lead singer walks up with his long hair flowing and grabs that microphone, goes like this, and opens his mouth. And I see ones and zeros flying out of his mouth. (laughs) Then I'll switch to digital. Amazing. I love that. Absolutely love it. Uh, One thing I'm really interested to talk to you about is um, Tonalux, because it's a company that... uh, 
I'll be honest, I've not heard any Tonalux gear yet, but it's been in my sort of orbit for uh-huh. for a while now. And I'm just interested to hear what you've got to say about it because it seems like it's... Sure. I mean, now I'm I'm keen to, to hear it and I've heard nothing but great things about it. And it seems like a company that's doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, well, you know, look, uh, kudos goes to the correct people. And in this case, Tone Locks, the kudos originally goes to Paul Wolf. Now, Paul Wolf used to be the owner of API. After Saul from API died, Paul bought, took over the company. Paul was one of the main designers with Saul and some other people at API. They created a lot of stuff. Along the way, um, API was sold to this gentleman named Larry Dropa. And Larry came from the Paragon days of the live theater type consoles. And in his own right, and his people and his staff, very professional. And they took over API. And Paul had developed some new proprietary circuitry that he thought was actually better than API. He would show you on the scopes and show you this, and you'd listen to it and you'd go, wow, it's not as harsh and as brittle as the API mic pre's. And not that I think API is bad. It's wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a total departure over what the British tones are. You know, there's that UK sound, that British sound, and then there's that American sound, you know. And uh, so when Paul brought all this to the new API owners, they didn't want to change. They go, no, we are going to stay with the old technology like Neve. Neve hasn't changed technology forever. And guys, that's, that's, that's cool. You know, I understand Neve is a Neve is a Neve is a Neve, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of issues with getting those type components. And there's a lot of issues with the design of some of those components. And you're not updating and changing to the, to the, things that you can get technologically today that would actually make it better. But they want to stick with the old. So Paul decided he was going to branch off from API, okay, and start his own company. And he did. And it was called Tonux. And he did very well. He designed all these modules that you could create into a frame uh, with all these racks, you either had the V rack or the half rack. So 16 modules in a rack or eight modules in a rack. You could put all of these modules into housings, make it look with a meter like a console. Mm-hmm. And you could route and customize your workflow. The downside of that was it was very difficult for people to grasp and understand the technology because Paul made it difficult. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, later. So anyway, (laughs) eventually Paul got to the point where he could not physically, he was a one man show. He could not keep up with the company. And I think he was hurting it more at that point than he was doing any good. Uh, Through a mutual friend, Jimmy Messina of Loggins and Messina, Jimmy approached me and said, hey, look, I have a good friend, Paul Wolf. I go, yeah, I know who Paul is. He said, he asked me to come to you to see if you might be interested in buying his company because everybody knew I was buying up companies. You know, Joe, me tried. By then I had also bought another company called Valley People, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an old throwback company. Um, And um, 
So I met with Paul and we negotiated. And, you know, at the time, Studio Projects, Joe Meek, we were considered tough. We were considered lo-fi, you know. We weren't high-end, Neve, API, blah, 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 Banley, this, that. We were, you know, we were down lower. We were in the Allen Heath puddle and, you know, the other puddles. Not to be disrespected, but that's what that's where we were. And I, I was okay with it, but I saw Tone Lux as an opportunity for PMI as a company and to make some changes in some other things that we were doing to elevate the awareness and to say, wow, they, the quality that they're doing is really good. So I bought Tone Lux. Paul worked for me for several years. Um, uh, along the way, we parted ways. And uh, we've been spending the last few years redesigning the things that we thought were messed up in the designs. Mm -hmm. Um, But so we discontinued the console portion of things. Uh, We've been redesigned. He had some 19 inch rack mounts that were unfortunately problematic, but all of this is corrected by three new to you products that we are not introducing just yet. We're almost there. We're in the final stages of testing and beta testing and stuff. And they are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, We still have the 500 series, the mic pre, the EQ. His EQ is different. It's called a proportional cue. So the actual uh, uh, the cues change with the game. Okay. And it's a very musical process. His compressors are also all parallel compressors. So they're feed forward, feed back, and there's a mix, mix controls. You can add like a room into it and stuff. And they're very, very cool. Um, and they just sound great. And his mic pre, which uses a proprietary dual op amp circuit, just is one of, is one of my favorite mic preamps. Uh, so we were doing that and along the way, Joe Ciccarelli um, came to my mic designer and approached us to say, look, I've got all of these Sony C37s and I'm looking for someone who can actually maybe fix them. I've tried a couple of guys, didn't work. So my designer, Brent Casey goes, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Brent's in his room with his magical specs on and his white coat, ripping stuff apart and doing it. Anyway, he fixes all these mics. And Joe is like, I can't believe this. This is, this is just incredible. It's amazing. We had to go out and find the original people that made the Transformers in Japan. Okay. And they only had a few left. And to make it, you had to buy all of this special alloy material, which was a a large commitment. So anyway, Brent did that. And Joe was like, oh, you guys, can you build this? And why? Because if you build this, I'll endorse it and we'll do this. So that became the development of our new mic called the JC37 instead of the C37, Mm -hmm. JC for Joe Ciccarelli. And we decided to literally knock it off. So the body is the same, the grill is the same, the yoke is the same. So if you have an old C37, your body and head grill or yoke is broken or bashed in, you can replace it with our parts. Okay. Okay. 
The capsule was the most monumentous thing to get done because it's a tunable capsule. Uh, but we did it. And we've been shipping now for a while. And people just love this microphone. So, But we decided after meeting with a couple of very large dealers who would resell this, we were thinking of bringing that under the Trident banner. And everybody, hands down, basically, bring it out under the Tone Rocks banner. It sounds cooler. And so we created the vintage look with the new logo of the Tone Lux and stuff. And we agreed and we brought it out under the Tone Lux banner. But I love the Tone Lux stuff. I would never track anything without having a barrage of Tone Lux stuff. I mean, I love a lot of other stuff, but you know, Tone Lux is really a very special product. And we're looking to enhance the microphone line with a solid state version of the C37, okay. some small diaphragms, some other type of, of, of things that we're going to come up with and fill out the line of the Tone Lux microphones and continue to fill out the line of the Tone Lux electronics. And if things continue to go the way they go, there's always that possibility that a new Tone Lux console will be developed. <laughs> That really would be, I think if that came about, that feels like it would be a uh, a sort of culmination of everything you've done so far. To to have a Tonal Lux console would be like a big marry of everything you've you've worked towards. That'd be very cool. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a yeah. It's amazing. I've I've. This has been such an interesting insight into the sort of um, the back room of of the industry, if you like. Like I, you know, these are things that we're. You know, as consumers, we're not privy to, and it's um, yeah. I I've been it's fascinating hearing you talking about it. Um, thank you. <laughs> oh well, you're very welcome. You know, it it really is a small industry. It really is a small industry, and it's like I remember as a young kid going in it and seeing the heavyweights in the industry, and unfortunately they die off, and all of a sudden you get up to the mid, and the next thing you know, you're looking back at young kids coming up. Oh, it's such an honor to meet you. You're a legacy in it. And you realize, oh man, I'm where they were when I was a kid. You know, what what's what's really next? You know? Mm. And I see a lot of a lot of guys just retire too, you know. Uh and I don't know if I want to retire. Well, you know, what am I got gonna... a passion for all of this, and you got so much. I energy. do. I have a tremendous, you know, I have a tremendous passion. And I still play. And up until last year, I was touring in Europe with the Billy Walton band. Um, you know, I, I was still playing out and I'm still recording my own stuff. And, you know, the studio that I have in my house, which I have a Trident 88C console <laughs> with you know loads of tone lots outboard and other outboard, and, you know, a lot of nice microphones and and all right, I'm not recording people anymore. I don't have time for that, but I like to, you know, I, I like to do my own stuff. I enjoy playing all the instruments. Okay, so I use a drum program and I program the drum, but I play the bass, I play the keys, I play the acoustics, I play all the uh, uh, electrics. I do all the singing, all the all the harmonizing. Amazing. I do all I do all the and I do it for me. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, and this is what I like to do. And outside of that, I feel that if I could pass on what I hungered for as a kid and the things that I saw that the industry needed at the time. OK, and if I could pass that stuff on to them and say, because of me, you're able to get 
this $129 or $159 mic that really is in a mix and it is, is about as good as anything you're going to get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, on an individual track, you could take a $10,000 Telefunken mic and, a, and, and my mic, you know, and, and put it up side by side and you'll hear subtle differences. But what I also notice is, is if you take the average people and put 20 in a room, 10 are going to pick this, 10 are going to pick that. Now, add everything in the mix where all the music is, which one is the Sound Deluxe or the Telefunken? Which one is the Studio Projects? I'm sorry. You don't really know. <laughs> so for these people who don't have these kinds of budgets that some people do, come on in. Get yourself a Studio Projects mic. Get yourself some outboard electronics. And okay, while you might think it's a lot of money, you know, a, tr- a, a decent Trident console starts at $12,500. That may sound like a lot, especially when the old TOFs, which we don't make anymore, started at about five dollars or $6,000. But look, that $12,000 console is as good as any $300,000 console that they used to buy. Mm. The noise floor is lower. The headroom is higher. There's <laughs> no crosstalk. There's no distortion. It's British EQ. It's Trident. It sounds great. You know, a Trident 80B used to cost you 50 grand. This is $12,000. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's better. <laughs> You're absolutely so if right. I'm able to pass all that along to people, Maybe that's what I'll be remembered as after I'm long gone. Who knows? But the good side of this is is my sons have learned a lot about this industry, and they're going to carry the torch. So PMI will will continue on. I have good people surrounding the company. I'm very confident that you know it's it's going to go. It's going to continue to go. Fantastic. What? Um, so finally, I, I always ask this of of all my guests, and this is a sort of phrase specifically for your your career but what would you attribute your sort of longevity to if you were to put put it down to one or or a few sentences um you know why why do you think that you're still here at, at arguably the the cutting edge with tonalux because as you say it's a it's a i know it's not an overnight success it's it, but it feels like a very new exciting venture i i think it's pers- one of the words is persistence I'm driven, okay? I, when something pops up into my mind, I believe it's going to happen. It's not banter fodder. It's going to happen, okay? And I'm going to strive and do anything I can to get it to happen. And so when I wanted to buy a company, I bought it. When I wanted to change things, discontinue things, or so, so you're going to kill the line. Well, no, I'm not going to kill the line. We're going to do this. We're going to come back to do that. We're going to do this. And I, and I think that's really what it is because we've been at this a very, very long time. Now, I was not the original owner of Trident. But like I say, I started out in this business as a manufacturer's rep. Never mind my music stuff that I started at 14 years old. Okay, but, you know, in the music business, I've been in it now since 1976. It's a long time. And I have seen, I have learned as a manufacturer's rep, I used to see what mistakes the distributors made. I used to see what mistakes the manufacturers made. I was privy because I was 
one of their top producers of, uh, of their salespeople. And at these international and national meetings, we would sit down with them and make discussions and talk about things. And I would always present my ideas. And I, and I could tell as I developed into a distributor and then as I developed into a manufacturer, I kind of had a little bit of a slight advantage over that time in my business as the manufacturer's rep and working with all these big companies, I learned what not to do. <laughs> and I was persistent at that. So hopefully that's, that's what attributed to my longevity. And I hope that's what will continue to contribute to the longevity of, of PMI through my sons and their hopefully persistence that they learned from their father. <laughs> we actually ended the interview here and continued to talk for quite a while and uh, we got talking about the San Francisco music scene um, back in the uh, sort of late 60s and 70s and I thought that that would be uh, interesting to include in this conversation so uh, it jumps around uh, but here we go this uh, extra little add-on moment but during my early time the San Francisco scene was you know just you know, incredible, you know, Joplin, Big Brother, uh, Starship, The Grateful Dead. Uh, uh, um, who else was in the uh, strawberry, incense and peppermints? Mm. Incense, peppermints, give them mankind. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. strawberry alarm clock. Um, the Wii Five, you know, you were on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, all these bands... My only regret, I think, in life, if you were to ask me on the podcast or something, yeah. did you ever have any? My only regret was that I, when I left New York, I should have gone right up to San Francisco and got into the band scene. And maybe I would have joined a band that mm. really would have actually made it. That's yeah. maybe one of my only regrets. That's interesting. But, you know, it is what it is. Because from my perspective, in my town in New York, in the early days, I played with all these bands all around Long Island. My band, their band, we played the same clubs, the same bill. So I was always playing with the Pigeons, who later became the Vanilla Fudge. I was always playing with the Vagrants, who later became Leslie West, Mountain. Playing the Hassles, Billy Joel, all okay? Right. Yeah. Uh, the Stray Cats. I taught Ellie Easton you know, a lot of my guitar licks, you know, I mean, these were all these bands that I grew up with and played, played around and a lot of them made it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of them didn't, you know, my good friend, Felix Cavalier from the young rascals, you know, he's 76 years old now and he's out all the time playing commercial gigs, playing old time stuff what he's done you know i mean but these old bands this is what they're reduced to these days is the oldies scene mm. yeah you know that's where it is and music has sure changed a lot oh totally it really has i mean it's changing it's changing month on month you know i i i did the you know the the band thing and almost getting signed and and it not quite working out which is why i'm doing my studio stuff now and um, right. You know, even when I'm working with younger artists and they're asking me for advice on, on how to release and things, I, I don't even know, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's changing. And that's, I mean, I'm only talking five years ago since I was, I was touring significantly and 
it's changing so quickly now. It's a yes. Yeah, well, the, the shit, you know how you make it these days? Go on. Get 8 million hits on YouTube or one of those channels. <laughs> yeah, that's then it. Then someone's eyes will open up and say, eh, you know what? I'll take a chance on you. You're going to do this and you'll get maybe three cents for every song we sell. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's really okay? true. It is really true. This is why you see the demise of so many professional recording studios. You know, all right, I'm going to buy that $300,000 Neve console. And I'm going to spend 300, 400 grand on mics and outboard gear. And I'm going to spend a million dollars in converting a room. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make my first major hit. And the budget that I got from this, from this person to do this is $1,500. What? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. You are extremely welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry if I was so long-winded. <laughs> and I'm sorry for bouncing around, you know, but uh, uh, as you get old, and I am 70, so <laughs> you, you, you forget certain things, you go back and forth, but I still have the strong passion for it. And I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, so I'll, I'll cut the interview off there. I genuinely thank okay. you. It is really, really, I, I mean, it's been, I just love speaking to you. You're like, your stories are fantastic. And it is, um, it's really interesting to hear sort of the nitty gritty of how things came about. I've enjoyed it a lot. You know what? 30, 40 years from now, someone's going to call you up and say, I want to do it. And, and you're going to experience the same thing. You're going to have so many great stories to tell. And you're going to have so many things that have happened in your lifetime. This is what everything is. It's just experiences. So there we have it, Alan Hyatt. And I really hope that you enjoyed listening to that conversation. As I said last week, it's a little bit um, outside of the norm, but it's still a really interesting um, sort of look into that side of the industry. So, um, Next week, I am speaking with Steve Jackson, who is the man that revived Poltec. So he is the CEO and head of Poltec, which sounds like a, a big deal, which it obviously is. But it turns out that Poltec's actually a very small company, um, which might surprise you. Uh, so Steve goes through the history of the company and how it came about that he got involved in it. And it's such a wonderful story it's an incredible story steve's a lovely guy he's extremely knowledgeable he's an electrical engineer and uh, i won't give anything away uh, before you hear it next week but it's a it's an incredible conversation and it's such a just an amazing history of a company that has arguably changed audio i mean it's a uh, poltex are renowned throughout the world still um anyway You'll, you'll love it. You'll love that conversation. So that's what's coming up next week. Um, that just leaves me to say, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do that. My email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. If you'd like to purchase one of the mugs I mentioned at the beginning, you can do that at allyouneedisdrums.com. Uh, a huge thank you to Joe Kane and David Henshaw for the music and the artwork for this podcast. And I hope that you'll have a wonderful week. I will speak to you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.